Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Relax. It literally means stop resisting and let go of your grip. Just relax. I don't know how many of you, like me, find that to be a particularly welcomed invitation this Advent season. Just relax. So I want you to think for just a moment. When you think of the word relax, where do you see yourself? How do you see yourself when you think of that word relax? When you think of relaxing, where do you see yourself most relaxed and least uptight or guarded? Very few people actually think about that being in the presence of God. More and more people actually, when they think of God, feel uptight. They can't even imagine relaxing in the presence of God. But did you know that's exactly what this psalm invites us to do? Psalm 46 is an invitation to just relax. God is still in control. Though life may seem out of control, God has not changed, God has not moved, so just relax. Now Jesus offers a very similar invitation in the Gospels. When Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest for your souls, that invitation is an invitation to come to him and to relax in the presence of God. And so the most relaxed place in the world that I have found for my soul is the presence of God. There's a second word, however, in Psalm 46 that rarely, if ever, even gets noticed. It's a word that interestingly doesn't appear in any other book of the Bible, only in the book of Psalms. It appears three times in Psalm 46, but it actually appears in 39 of the 150 Psalms. So so nearly half or over half uh, or a quarter of the Psalms actually contain this word. It is a unique Hebrew word that is believed to be a rare musical term. Would make a lot of sense. Because Psalms is a book, it is a collection of songs of praise sung to God. And the word is a word that you may have never heard of. It's a word called Selah, S-E-L-A-H, Selah. The word Selah that appears in Psalm 46 and in 39 of the other Psalms literally means to pause and ponder to think deeply about something, what you've just heard, to think deeply about that in the presence of God. Now listen, I think that's a good way to think of prayer. 
Prayer is thinking deeply about the things of God in the presence of God. So this word selah actually reminds us of what I shared with you last weekend. That to find stillness, there are three practices that we must do. There are three practices that God, spiritual practices, that God invites us into. To pause, ponder, pray. All three of those are found in that single word, selah. And what's unique about the word is the word is actually another invitation for us to reflect deeply in the presence of God, all that God has done for us. So when you're reading the scripture and you come to that word selah, what it's intended to do is it's intended to stop what we're doing, to just take time to think, to ponder, to pause, and to prayerfully consider what God has given to us. So when you think of Psalm 46, think of it as a worship concerto that has three movements contained within it. Each of the movements actually include a selah or a time to stop, to pause, to ponder, and to deeply appreciate what God has just said. As with any good concerto, and my wife and I love going to them, and we haven't been for a long time, but whenever we get the opportunity to go down to the Cincinnati Orchestra or over to Schuster Center to take in a good concerto, what we realize is what the whole audience realizes, and that is that you sit in stillness and silence even during the pause. And you save your applause, your expression of gratitude and appreciation for the very end. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to stop to consider Psalm 46 in its entirety. Because here's the deal. Psalm 46 was never intended to be read. It was intended to be experienced. We cannot just preach about stillness. Stillness is intended to be practiced. And there's no greater way for us to enjoy a still Christmas together than by taking time to consider what God gives us in this wonderful psalm where he says, be still and know that I am God. Just relax in my presence. There's no greater way to do that than to practice it. So let's begin by placing ourselves in a posture of open receptivity and eager responsiveness to, the invi- to this invitation from God to be still, to relax, to know that I am God. Let's let go of our grip. Let's stop resisting. I want you to put your physical body in a posture, in a position where you are fully alert, fully aware, and fully present to God in this moment of invitation. Are you ready? I'm going to read 
the entire psalm, 11 verses. And we're going to stop every time you hear that word selah. I want us to practice it. I want us to pause and to ponder deeply in the presence of God what it is we have just heard. I cannot think of a better psalm in light of what we have been dealing with in 2020 than Psalm 46. So as we relax in the presence of God, let me read, and when you hear that word Selah, the words will be on the screen if you'd like to follow us, but when you hear that word Selah, I'd like you to just pause and to ponder and to reflect in appreciation for what you've just heard. Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters rage and roar and and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. Verses four through seven. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Just stop and ponder that. Verses 8 through 11. Come. Come. Behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still. Relax. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Just relax and think deeply about that in the presence of God. So a recent survey found that there were more people this Thanksgiving that needed food assistance than at any other time since the Great Depression. Over 50 million people were in need of some type of food support to get them through the Thanksgiving holiday. Now, nationally, if you equate that number, it means that about one out of every six adults and one out of every four children in the United States of America were suffering this Thanksgiving from food insecurity. It's remarkable. But perhaps more than a shortage of food, 
we this holiday season are experiencing what I would call a shortage of hope. More and more people are feeling hopeless as this pandemic lingers on much longer than expected, as the uncertainty of its financial impact continues to be felt around the world, as the suspicion about our vaccination process sends the rise, as the political uncertainty continues, I think people are feeling this Christmas probably more than many a sense of hopelessness. Maybe you're one of those people here and joining us by way of our broadcast today. Well, if that's you, you certainly are not alone. Because while hope seems to be in high demand, there seems to be a short supply of it this holiday season. Well, there are a group of people that we find and we read about in Scripture that we just sang about that actually, I think, understood what it felt like to have a shortage of hope. It's a group of people that actually are the most unusual people to appear in a narrative like the Christmas narrative. And yet they give us insight into the incredible features that hope brings to all of us, especially here in this Advent season. So even for those who don't crack their Bible very often, they are likely familiar with the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning. Because this particular passage is, is retold year after year in a children's classic called Charlie Brown's Christmas. So since 1965, between reruns of The Grinch stealing presents from Whoville, and Clarence the Angel helping George Bailey realize that he really does have a wonderful life, and reruns of Rudolph rescuing toys from the island of Misfit. We, we hear Linus in Charlie Brown Christmas coming out in response to a gnawing question that Charlie Brown has. And that question is this, isn't there anyone who knows the true meaning of Christmas? Can you see it in your head right now? Well, that particular narrative that Linus reads is ripped right from the pages of Luke's gospel. And it's verbatim. And this morning... He begins that reading at a verse I want to begin with in Luke chapter 2, verse number 8. Here it is. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. How many times in our lives have we heard this read? How many times... Have we read and recited the words of this scripture? It is so familiar. It's so beloved. It's so cherished. And yet there is nothing glamorous about the people, the audience, who are found in this particular story. I mean, despite what some people believe, the life of a shepherd was not a glamorous life. 
It was a very difficult life, actually. And in Eastern times, at the time of Jesus' birth, there were generally two groups of shepherds. There were what were known as nomadic shepherds who actually were migrant workers. They traveled from place to place with a flock of sheep, taking them to different locations based on the seasons. There were also those shepherds who tended to reside in the Galilean countryside outside the villages, and their tending of sheep was responsible for sheep that were used for agricultural or religious purposes. Now, there's no doubt the sheep that are found in this narrative are the nomadic kind. They're the kind that are traveling out in the fields from place to place. They don't have a permanent address, so to speak. And these particular shepherds are the ones that get the visitation and the announcement of the birth of Jesus. They are the first ones who hear the good news. Now, I've asked myself this question, why why shepherds? Why migrant workers working the night shift? Why would they be the ones? Why would God not choose the angel to come to a much more respectable group of people? A group that's more highly respected in culture. Why not go to kings? Why not make the announcement to rulers? Why not the religious leaders who actually were long awaiting the coming of the Messiah? Perhaps that could have changed everything about history. But no, that's not what God chooses to do. God instead chooses to come to perhaps what are the socially lowest people that were living in that day, culturally speaking. He comes to lowly, humble, migrant shepherds. And I think the question this morning is not why shepherds. I think the question is, why not shepherds? Why not shepherds? When you think about the message of Jesus, when you think about the ministry of Jesus, when you think about the characteristics that he was going to take on to become the good shepherd, when you think about the fact that he would become the lamb who was saved, will save the world, the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. Why not shepherds? Why not they be the ones who get to hear the glad tidings and bear this message? And so this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to experience with the shepherds what they experienced in the field that night. And I want us to see that these are the people who had a shortage of hope, and yet God brings incredible hope to this group of people. And I think there are features of hope that they realize and they experience that are found for all of us this Advent season. As we think about being still, relaxing in God's presence, I think God wants us to be filled with hope and hopefulness, just like the shepherds were. The first feature of hope that I think the shepherds experienced is found in Luke chapter 2, verse number 9. And, and, and here it is. It's that hope sees light even in darkness. 
One of the characteristics of hope is that it sees light even when it's surrounded by darkness. Look, chapter 2, verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. I do not think it is coincidental that the announcement of Christ's coming, the glory of God coming to earth, being incarnated here, was going to be in such a magnificent way that it would take the darkness of the sky and it would drown it with light. I don't think that's coincidental. In fact, John as he is writing his gospel in his opening remarks, in John chapter one, verse number nine, here's what he says. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming to the world. Now do not miss those words to everyone. This light was not for a select few. This light was not for those who had their lives together. It was not for the well-to-do. It also wasn't exclusively just for the poor and the underprivileged. No. The scripture here makes it clear that this light that God was giving was going to be for everyone. And I suspect that was particularly good news for the shepherds. That it was for them too. That they were going to get in on this light because when you consider the social stigma of shepherds in the first century, especially these nomadic kind, you'll understand how profound this really is. That hope was giving light in the midst of darkness. The Talmud, which is the book of the oral laws that were passed down from Moses to the prophets and all the way to Christ, actually say that no help is to be given to heathens and to shepherds. Really interesting. Now, the Talmud is considered um, to be from God. In fact, there are many that, who are skeptical and even frown upon the New Testament, and even some that believe the New Testament, Orthodox Jews who believe that the New Testament is anti-Semitic in its writings. But they believe that the Talmud is even more reliable than the Old Testament itself. Oral laws passed down from generation to generation to generation. When you consider that shepherds were actually excluded from help, it makes you realize how powerful it was that these were the ones that the light and the glory of God is shining upon. And here's what also it says. It tells me that the prophet Isaiah, who actually was the one who was given the privilege of speaking hundreds of years before Christ came, predicting his coming, in one of the great messianic texts in Isaiah chapter 9, here are the words of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I think Isaiah here has in mind the shepherds. I think he sees them first and foremost as those who were walking in darkness, who were living in a land of darkness, who needed the light of God 
to shine all around them. And listen, friends, 2020 has felt like a year of deep darkness, hasn't it? For many people. Many people feel, when they hear this verse, they feel and they resonate with the words. But here's the message and that was found in the light that shined on that field on that day. The message is this. Even when everything else is dark around us, even when everything else seems dark, there is still light to be seen, even in the darkness. And hope sees that light. Hope doesn't focus on darkness. Hope focuses on light. Hope sees what God has in store for us. Hope gets its eyes on that which is eternal, not that which is temporal. Hope fixes its attention on the place where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and where we are in company with him in that same place. So hope sees light even in the darkness. The second thing I think about hope that the shepherds experience is that that hope hears good news, even in the midst of bad news. Hope hears good news, even in the midst of bad news. Look at verse number 10 of Luke's gospel, chapter 2. The angel said to them, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. When you are hearing bad news day after day, night after night, doesn't it taste like a refreshing drink of water to hear some good news? I rarely turn the television on to watch the news but that the first part of it is always doom and gloom. Now, it's reality. It's what we're living in today in this pandemic. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of loss. There's a lot of grief. And it certainly makes sense why it would be reported. My wife and I have kind of a standing date each night where we watch NBC Nightly News. We usually record it and watch it at a different time. But We just kind of like sitting in for 20 minutes together and catching the highlights of the day. But that's about what it is, 20 minutes of a lot of doom and gloom. And yet every night on the nightly news, they have a final piece. And those of you that have ever watched it know about this piece, but it's called There's Good News Tonight. It's just usually a short two-minute story that we never like to miss because we like to end it on a high note. We like to hear kind of the encouraging thing. I I wish, however, that that's how the broadcast would start. I wish it would begin with the good news. I wish it would tell us that there is good news tonight even when all is bleak and all seems bad and people are dying and businesses are closing and shutdowns are happening and controversies are going on and people are at odds with each other. There's still good news. Listen, I think that's what the shepherds were getting on that night. The message was, there's good news tonight. They were hearing that by way of the broadcast of these angels coming and bringing the good news. 
And what I love about what it says is it wasn't just good news. What was announced to the angels was this. It is good news that will bring great joy. And not just bring great joy for those who actually already have a lot of good news, but this is good news for all people. Again, everyone gets included. What the angel was declaring to these shepherds is, you are not going to be left out on this. You're not going to be left behind on this, good news. You are as much included in it as everyone else is included. And I want you to know that. This is good news that's going to bring great joy to your heart. And it's going to be for every single person. Now, the New Testament actually opens with four books. These books are actually called gospels. The word gospel literally means good news. These four opening books of the New Testament are actually about the life and person of Jesus, and they are filled with that good news that brings great joy to all people. But what's interesting is that the first book of the New Testament is actually not the first book that was chronologically written. The first book chronologically that was believed to be written historically was the second book that appears in the New Testament. It is the gospel according to Mark. It is believed to be the most ancient and the most reliable source of the gospel message from which the other gospel writers derive some of their content. And here's what's interesting. Mark is actually a scribe. He is not one of the original disciples. He's writing down this gospel as the stories of Jesus are being told by the apostle Peter. And so what we have is we have a second-hand account of Peter telling this story of the life of Jesus through the hand of Mark who's writing this gospel. But here's what I love. The New Testament actually opens with this verse. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the first verse ever really penned, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Don't miss it. This is just the beginning. This is not the end of good news. These four gospels are not the entirety of the good news of Jesus. There is so much more that has continued all the way to our generation in the 21st century. Oh, I know there's a lot of bad news. But listen, friends, in the midst of all of that bad news, we still have a lot of good news. Jesus has has not changed. There is no shadow of changing in him. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus still loves you and me as much as he did before this pandemic started. Nothing has changed. You can do nothing to make him love you more or less. God is for you. God is with you. And God is also with every single person because the gospel was for all, including the shepherds. They got in on it. And that's what hope does. Our opportunity this Advent season is in our stillness, we can also bring people hope. And we can bring them good news. We can be the people of God, like the angels were, sharing this good news to others.
There's a third feature of hope that I think we find in this narrative. And it's this, that hope offers goodwill despite ill will. Hope offers goodwill despite ill will. I'm sure you would agree with me, there's a lot of ill will in our culture today. That word ill will just simply means a strong and intense emotion of dislike. It is a hostility and an animosity toward a person or a group of people. And it actually is so intense that it often results and is motivated by an action of hatred against those particular people. The shepherds had been recipients of ill will. In that culture, the shepherds knew what it felt like to be on the receiving end of not being respected, honored, loved, appreciated. They even knew at times what it felt like to be considered enemies. Because if you look back at Christ's time, and you see the way that especially nomadic shepherds were treated and viewed, first of all, they were viewed as sort of like social gypsies. They kind of traveled from place to place. They had no permanent place to call home. And because of that, they, there was just suspicion about what they were up to, what they were doing, what their motivations were. You can think carnival workers when you think shepherds, nomadic shepherds. Rabbinical law actually excluded them from being part of the ceremonial festivals and feasts of the Jewish life. They were actually considered ceremonially unclean because of their interaction with animals and because of the way that they live their life. So they were missing out so often on some of the opportunities that other Jewish people would have had. The other thing about these shepherds is they were seen as unreliable in so many areas, including in the court of law. They were, they were not considered reliable witnesses. They were not given opportunities to bring reports, to be an eyewitness. Why? Because they were thought of as untrustworthy, unreliable in their word. Now, I want you to think about these shepherds that have this experience in Luke chapter 2, verse 13. First of all, it says, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Verse 14. Here's what the, the host of, were singing. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, goodwill toward men. Goodwill is a friendly, amiable, positive feeling and attitude toward other people, including your enemies. It is actually thinking in good ways and favorable ways and kind ways, 
even to people who you might disagree with. When you walk by that yard and you see that political sign that is the other side for you, how do you feel about those people? Are you thinking goodwill? How do you feel about people who have this past year maybe disappointed you, crossed you, maybe offended you? Are you still thinking goodwill? Listen, in a culture that is filled with so much ill will, the remedy to ill will is God's goodwill. That's the remedy. The only thing that can bring peace on earth is God's goodwill. It is when we become those who are offering to others what God himself offered to us. Think about this. You and I certainly did not deserve goodwill. I'll speak for me. I didn't. I know my life when Jesus found me. And I know that I was not worthy of any sense of goodwill. And yet God offered it to me. I was his enemy, and he said, no, you're my friend. Jesus came to make you my friend. It changed everything. And I am now called, just like you are called, to be carriers of God's goodwill to those that we are in relationship with and those we are not in relationship with. Because every single person needs it. Despite our differences, despite the offenses, despite the ideologies, boy, we need a big dose of goodwill, don't we, in our world today, in our culture? We need God to bring it back. Because there's no other way to peace on earth, friends. We'll, we'll never have it without the lead foot being goodwill toward one another, just like God's goodwill was to the shepherds as they began to carry the message. Now listen, in a season where there's a shortage of hope, you and I have a tremendous opportunity to actually join the shepherds in doing what they did. And there are two things I want to close by just briefly mentioning by way of insight in the narrative of the shepherds. Verses 17 and 18. It says, when they, the shepherds, had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Think about this. The very first preachers of the gospel were the shepherds. They were the first ones who got to take the good news. They got to deliver everything they had seen and heard to everyone they could talk to, anyone who would listen to them. They're sharing this good news. And what I think is remarkable about this is that we never again hear about the shepherds in the Gospels. Never again. They're never referred to. We're never circled back to them. We know nothing. They just fade into the woodwork of the story. It's unlikely, given the lifespan of people in the first century, highly unlikely that any of these shepherds were around 
for the death of Jesus. But they got to be there for the birth. They got on the front end of the good news. And they got to carry this message. And year after year after year, it is theirs that is the story that gets told. Even though we know nothing about their names, we know nothing about their, 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 uh, their fame or what they went on to do or how long they lived, what we do know is they were faithful to carry the message to everyone they could. And I want to ask you, and I want to challenge you this season of Advent. While we're being still and silent in the presence of God, let's not be silent in the presence of others about the good news. Let's not be silent about the hope that we still have. Listen, friends, hope is not a place. It is a person. It's Jesus. He's our hope. And we take that hope wherever we go. Final thing I want you to see is found in verse 20. The shepherds returned to their flock, ecstatic over what had happened. They praised God and glorified him for all that they had heard and seen for themselves, just like the angel had said. Here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice the end of the story with the shepherds. I want you to notice how the story ends. For the shepherds, it ended with them back in the fields, back with their flock, back to their ordinary life. Not what I would call a fairy tale ending. But here's why I think it's important. I think the shepherds show us how we can take our ordinary life and make it an extraordinary one. How we can take the mundane things, the ordinary things of life, and how they can become an act of worship for us. How we can actually learn how to praise God in the midst of the ordinary life. Because what the shepherds do is they give us and they sanctify the ordinary and the mundane into something that is dignified and beautiful. They make it an act of worship for God. They're not just now traveling, they're worshiping. And can I tell you, friends, everything you do in your life that is done for the glory of God in worship is done as an act of worship. It, it actually is transformed into something that's beautiful in God's eyes. I shared this with someone this past week, and I want to read it to you as we close. It's just a short quote. It comes from a book that I have actually referenced before, it's a book called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. This quote summarizes, I believe, the entirety of the book. And it actually speaks to exactly what the shepherds did. Here's what it says. We ought not weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work but the love by which it is performed. 
Think about what you do right now. Think about at times how difficult or frustrating, maybe even meaningless your work feels. Now I want to read this quote again. We ought not weary of doing little things for the love of God who regards not the greatness of the work but the love by which it is performed. If we do what we do on this earth for love of God, it is a tremendous act of worship that will not go unnoticed in eternity that is yet to come. Because it transforms the mundane and the ordinary into something beautiful. It's exactly what the shepherds did. And why did they do it? Because they were filled with hope. They saw the light. They were metabolizing the good news. And they were feeling God's goodwill toward them. And so in a culture filled with ill will, they were the ones who were going to bring glory to God by the way they lived out their lives. Friends, this Christmas, this Advent, as we're being still before God, can we invite God as we're relaxing in his presence to transform our ordinary, mundane things that we do into acts of tremendous worship for him. Let me say this as I close. The greatest gift that you can offer God this Christmas is you can offer him what you do for love of God. That's the greatest gift you can give God is offering, offering him what you do for the love of God and for the love of God alone that I'm doing it for him and not for anyone else. Bow your heads, please, as I close our time. Lord, to you we bring our hearts today. As that feeding trough, that manger was an empty place filled with hay until the Christ child was laid in it. Our hearts remain empty until you're born inside of them. They are just simply places that are filled with a lot of emptiness and clutter and confusion and many times darkness until the light of your presence is born in our hearts. So I want to pray, Lord, for every person in this auditorium and every person that's joining us by way of this broadcast today. I pray that we would offer our hearts back to you, God, as a response to your invitation to be still and know that you are God. Help us to relax in you. We, God, invite you into our lives, into our hearts, to be born anew and afresh this Advent season. Thank you for these shepherds. Thank you for the way in which they responded to the good news, despite their fear, despite the confusion. They responded in obedience and in joy to the message of hope. So God, I pray for every person today that may be feeling a shortage of hope this holiday season, would you fill their hearts with your hope, God? Would the light of your presence shine in their dark places? God, give the good news again to their hearts. Let it come alive in them. And I pray that we together 
would be carriers of goodwill in a world and a culture that is filled with so much ill will. We pray these things all for Christ's sake and for the glory of God. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.